Hello and welcome to the Tough Like a Girl podcast. I'm Nathaniel. And I'm Liz. And we're here to talk about graphic novels and trade collections with female protagonists. And we are bringing back someone who we've covered before. Mm -hmm. And that is the incredibly well-selling... Yes. Raina Telgemeier. I say bringing back as if she's actually on the show. She's not. We're just reviewing a different piece of hers. Yes. Now, the last... I don't think she would be on the show after what I said about ghosts. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Last one we covered was ghosts. (laughs) You had some feelings. I had feelings. About that one. About the cultural appropriation and the historical inaccuracy of that. Yep. This one, this is... Correct me if I'm wrong. This is kind of the book that put her on the map, the one we had this time. Yep. So this is Smile, which was released in 2010. Uh, Raina Telgemeier did the scripting and the art. Uh, the coloring was by Stephanie Yu. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is presented, I don't know how accurate it is, but it is presented as autobiographical mm-hmm. because the main character is Raina. Mm-hmm. As as it uh, goes through her orthodontic adventures, yeah, that really is the premise. I mean, to be honest, it it is centered around that and yeah, trauma. Uh, really, it is kind of traumatic for especially early on. It's it's a bit, and in, and it's worth pointing out. Like she she goes through a lot of the standard stuff, you know, braces and other stuff, but. What got her started down this path was a bit unusual. She she was, I think it sounds like she was going to have braces anyways. And then she was racing her friends at night, tripped, and knocked out her two front teeth. Except they weren't actually knocked out. They got pushed up into oh, her gums. Oh, that's right. You're right. And so she spends... I forgot about that part. She spends several years with orthodontics trying to pull them out... But that didn't work. Then she gets them pulled out entirely. entirely, Has a retainer for a little while with fake front teeth. Then has braces to pull her other teeth around to completely close in the front and bonding to make them look like proper incisors. And this is this is over multiple years. I what is she? Does it start with her in seventh grade? I think she's about. Or is she about to start? I think when it starts, yeah, when the accident happens, and I think she's about fifteen when it ends. Yeah, she's in high school. It it ends with her starting high school. Mm -hmm. So it it is dealing. It ends when she's in uh, sophomore year of high school. Actually, that's when she. Oh yeah! No, 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 spoiler alert! Gets them taken off. Not that it's really a spoiler. Yes. Yep. Reminder, reminder, folks. Reminder, folks. Braces eventually do come off. And, of course, there's being a middle school tween teen set. There's a lot of drama. There's body drama. There's boy drama. There's friend. There's so much friend drama. Your favorite. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of that. And, like, it's not worth going blow for blow through the plot because it is about what you'd expect and I don't mean that as a criticism. It is a very relatable story. It doesn't reinvent the wheel. It's just pretty well presented for what it is. At least, I feel it is. Yeah. I mean, what are, what are your thoughts overall about this? I'm, I'm going to make a leap and say you're more 
positive on this than you were on ghosts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I totally understand um, why this was such a hit when it came out. Um, my understanding of the Reina, and I haven't done research on this, um, Telga Meyer phenomenon was that before she hit, and that was even, I think it was before Baby Mouse, because this was published in 2010, we said, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, so it's actually been popular the whole time I've been a librarian, um, because I became a librarian in 2013, I believe. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a thing the whole time. Like, <laughs> everyone always wants Smile. It's been very popular, um, with second through, I'd say, sixth grade. So mm. actually a little younger than she was. I guess sixth grade was about the age she was when it began. Yep. But it definitely reads for younger kids. Even though there's boy drama, there's not anything even remotely sexual in it's it. It's crush really. drama, they, honestly. They, like, kiss each other and spin the bottle, but it's not, like... Well, actually, it's a she, pet kiss. She, she, she doesn't ref kiss. She refuses to play. But her friends kiss yeah. somewhat, but... It's such, like, very basic, like, when when my fourth graders date, they're about at the level they are in this <laughs> thing where they're like, we're hanging out more. Yeah. Maybe we hold hands. And that's pretty much where most of my middle schoolers are. I hope, I know some of them are, unfortunately. I know some mm. of them are further along than that. But I remember one of them hearing, one of my, I think, eighth grade girls this year, hearing that, like, people were talking about her kissing and she's like that's gross i don't kiss my boyfriend like stop talking about that <laughs> i think part of what i liked about this is like ultimately by the time you're done and i think this might be part of the reason it, it speaks so well to its target audience is that it's very open about the fact that that age kind of sucks yeah and is awkward and in her case she has reasons she can specifically point to as to contributing to her awkwardness, mm -hmm. i.e. her teeth and all the stuff going on with them. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, you come away from the book going, yeah, those years are awkward and kind of suck, but you also get through them. And Yeah, and by the time she gets to high school, like, after the first month or so, she figures, like, oh, I don't really like the people that were my quote-unquote friends in middle school. Like, they're not very nice people. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back. To the well, actually, you know what? We can deal with them now. So, her her, her friends friends in quotes um, are kind of the worst. Yeah, like there's a couple of them who are actively the worst, and then the rest just stand by and laugh at whatever at, they do to her. Yeah, they like pants her at one point. Like, well, that's she... that's the breaking point when yeah, that happens. With her. That's that's when she finally writes them off. But they, everything, like, when she gets upset, they're like, why are you freaking out? Like, it doesn't matter. And they laugh everything off. And they're not at all really sympathetic or understanding to her. The, I, I'm actually, they're not sympathetic or understanding to her. I will argue that that, that was better presented here than I've usually seen it in these kinds of books. Because it, it kind of escalated. Initially, like, they were a little bit, like, Oh, you know, saying things kind of a little offhanded, little catty. I'm like, I can I can tell this is bad, but I get why she doesn't see the problem or maybe why she thinks this is normal. Mm -hmm. So often when I see things aimed at this age group and there are friends who are the worst, they are like so the worst. It's like, 
wait They're a right out of the bat worse. Yes, yeah. th this escalates and this builds. And like I said, the pantsing is a breaking point because they finally pushed her too far. Because, mm -hmm. Which is to say that up to that point, while they haven't been good friends to her, they haven't been so actively awful that it's unbelievable she's still hanging out with them. Yeah, I, I get your point. Especially if she's, like, super awkward and, like, I can't make friends because of my braces and all the rest of that. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, one of the things I really loved, and, I mean, <laughs> spoke to me as an adult, um, is at, at the end when she gets to high school and she starts hanging out with a new batch of friends and things come up that she knows she would have been made fun of with mm -hmm. her old group. And they don't. And she's just kind of left dumbfounded by that. They're like, no, that's normal. Like, what do you mean that your teeth look weird? Or like, what? what? Exactly. It's, what? <laughs> well, it's this realization, and it can hit you hard sometimes that, oh, that thing that I was putting up with, that's not how it's actually it's supposed, supposed to be. be. And <laughs> e even as an adult... That uh, yeah, that that certain relationships to me. you're like oh there there are there are better. things there are things friendships you, yeah yeah there are friendships there are connections there are things you put up with for a while and you convince yourself that even if it's maybe not a hundred percent normal it's not way off the mark and then you then you get into better more healthy more supportive connections and relationships I'm not sure I and what. Well, <laughs> And you and you set off your phone to talk I didn't to you. Mean to. I just have been but, having problems. But you you suddenly realize, oh, oh, what? I was in a situation that like wasn't good for me. Dang. Okay. Um. So, despite being middle school drama. Mm -hmm. I actually liked this better than a lot of the instances we've run into that. So, like, when it came up in Roller Girl, mm -hmm. it drove me nuts because, A, I think it was more overblown mm -hmm. in that one, and, B, it was actually distracting me from what I was interested in, which was her getting into this sport and forming those connections. Yeah, because that was a cool, yeah, it, fun it, thing. It, yeah, it felt tacked on because, like, it was supposed to be because she was that age, whereas here it feels like, well, no... Having these awkward and these drama moments is actually kind of the point. It's just being told through the lens of this teeth crap going on at the same time. Yeah, because it's an, such an extra piece. I mean, I've had braces, and gosh, yes, they make you feel. But I feel like even though she had them about as long as I did, I did not lose two front teeth when I was like... So eleven or twelve. Yeah, I uh, I had a lot of orthodontics mm -hmm. growing up. I never I I, ne I didn't go through what she went through, but I went through. Okay, so my issue was actually never my teeth. Uh -huh. My issue was my jaw. Uh -huh. I had a crossbite, but it wasn't because my jaw was misaligned. Uh -huh. It was because my upper jaw was actually too small. So what I ended up having is. I went, I had what's called a, uh, initially I had what's called a hyrax, which is a thing that goes uh, and connects to your upper palate. Mm -hmm. And every night you, you take a key and you crank it. And it gives you the world's most splitting headache 
for about three seconds when that does because you're literally spreading your up your bones apart. I, I had one of those too with like headgear. I went well, here's the I went through three of those. Oh, I only had one for because because the hope was initially I initially I had it I think maybe sixth seventh grade like th that range was when mm -hmm. I had my first one and the hope was. We deal with it now, and we won't have to deal with it later. Unfortunately, as I kept growing, my jaw went back to the way it was. So, we then had to do it again. The first one that they put in actually didn't even work. Like, the, the mechanism didn't work. It wouldn't crank. And that one, that one was the absolute worst because... With those things, normally, because there's this metal thing going across. Cross, yeah, the cross piece. Yeah. You well, that normally, you that, normally that's arched to conform to your upper palate. The second one they gave me basically went straight across, mm. which meant that I couldn't raise my tongue ba basically higher than the top of my the bottom of my upper gum line. So I had an instant speech impediment, and I remember I was in rehearsal. This was sophomore year high school, mm -hmm. and this was also the same year I got glasses for the first time. So this was a lovely one-two punch. So I was in rehearsal for the one acts that year. Uh -huh. uh, with the theater geeks, uh -huh. and I had a I had a line that was supposed to be, "Is that your Chevrolet parked out front?" Uh -huh. And I remember this very distinctly. In the I pulled it together by the time the show went up, but in rehearsal, I remember first day I had this thing: "Is that your Is that your Is that your car?" <laughs> I couldn't say Chevrolet. It was physically impossible for me to say it at that oh. point. So true, the awkwardness of braces yeah. and how much pain you're in. Mm -hmm. I think it does point out, though, in the book where she's like, oh, you know, feeling like she's the only one, but a lot of her friends have braces, and, like, when she pops out her retainer, like, they all have, re they have cooler retainers. Yes, they have much cooler they retainers than her. They have sparkly retainers. I think I had a sparkly retainer, like, with glitter in it. I did not have pictures in my retainer, no. though. That's advanced stuff. I still have retainers, because after I did the Hyrax, oh, I had that's to, right. I had to have braces to align my teeth in a way that everything lined up and, and like, because mis misaligned teeth would start to force my jaw back uh -huh. the way it was and I have retainers that I sleep in and will have to wear for the rest of my life because if I don't then my teeth go back to the way they were and if my teeth go back to the way they were then my jaw will go back to the way it was so yeah I got these things for life it's great it's not I have like a cemented piece on the bottom I've got both I've got the cemented piece on the bottom and the traditional uh, retainer up top I don't have anything up top though but I do have like Something that's still cemented. That, that said, for all back of my for all teeth. that, you have much better. Teeth I've never had a cavity you. and I've never had a filling, so you take better care. Well, uh, my family is also has bad teeth. So, do you have any more trauma you want to share? I can tell tell my orthodontist. Go too. for it. Now, no, I think do you I, have more. No, I think I'm done. Like, it, I, uh, it how was, long were you in went in them for? I mean, retainer still, but you're not actively. Going yeah. Back. So, the, I forget how long each hyrax was. And but I went through three of those. I had braces for two years, mm -hmm. and then the retainers, um, which are forever. But I was in some form of orthodontics, mm -hmm. uh, probably from sixth grade until junior year, I think, of high school. So four or five years worth of orthodontics. I had a little more. I think I had eight years, actually. Oh, dang. I think I went in at eight. 
is when they first started doing stuff. And then I think I got them off when I was 16. So you like you were going more or less into them while I was getting done them. Oh. Well, some of the things you were getting while yeah. I was getting done. Um, so yeah, my but- issue was I had an overbite and... Essentially, I inherited my father's big teeth and my mother's small mouth, so there wasn't room. So they also, I had had gear where it had to, like, widen my upper part. Um, They definitely had to rearrange a lot. Um, I did eventually get my wisdom teeth pulled, I think in my 20s. I actually had to go back because things shifted around after, not when I was 16, but after college. So I had them from, like... 22 to 24 again I think I had braces again that's super fun when you and your kids where your students can commiserate about braces but actually I mean it gave me some perspective and the kids were nice about it because they're like yeah it happens and I think they most of them had seen a couple more adults in braces at that point you know it happens um I think I even had like there was an orthodontist assistant I had at that time that was also in braces so it happens, um, but it's it's not a great feeling when you're an actual adult living on your own and having braces either. It's, it brings back some of the things Raina went through. Yeah. It never really goes away. Um, yeah, it definitely in, lends itself to the awkwardness you already feel at that age because I also got glasses around the same time, and I was also in those until I was in six. I was 16, and then I got contacts at 16. So basically what happened is I got the braces off and got contacts, and I thought I was, like, the hottest thing ever (laughs) my junior year. I wasn't. I was still very much a little, like, nerd, academic, like, valedictorian me. Yeah. Nerd! But I felt so much better about myself because I was like, yeah. Well, I remember getting my braces off for the first time, and I like I basically spent two days continually running my tongue over the front of my teeth. Oh, yeah, you do that, too. I think, honestly, too, braces are the reason I still am not really into gum, because I just didn't chew it for so long mm. that I just don't like it. I've never been able to really blow bubbles with bubble gum, so I, that's not, I can't do it, so it's not appealing. See, I I remember missing out, especially with the Hyrax. With the braces, I got away with it a little more, but especially with the Hyrax, not being able to eat um, sticky, gooey, cheesy stuff. And yeah. macaroni and cheese is... Homemade macaroni and cheese is my favorite thing ever. Oh, and I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't eat it. I miss popcorn, I think. I remember missing popcorn. Kind of like... Well, Raina doesn't really care about it, but then (laughs) I love how her orthodontist is like, look what you get to eat now! And she's like, yeah, "Yeah, great, my teeth aren't the way I want them to be. Yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah, it's true, you think you'll have this, like, perfect Hollywood smile, and it's like, nope, this is still me. Um, But it... Yeah, th- th- this has been Orthodontic Sharing Hour. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> so, no, 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 no. no, no. Sure. This is the only time we can share. Yeah, this no, stuff it's perfectly it appropriate. And I think it speaks to the fact that for both of us having gone through a lot of orthodontics, we read this and go, oh, yeah. We can commiserate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it's. The it, wax that you have to carry. There's like a whole kit. When she t- <laughs> spills out of her backpack, I remember there's flossers, there's wax, there's like the threaders that go with it. Yep. Um, I didn't really use any of them. <laughs> oh, I, I had a whole... I had like a 
15 minute routine. I had a water pick too. Oh, jeez. That's why I, I mean, I was much better as a kid. I, so I would like brush, water pick, floss with the threaders, and then like rinse with like fluoride. Oh, jeez. I had like a four-part treatment of my teeth when I was a kid, and now I just brush, so no wonder I occasionally get cavities. I mean, like, I joke that we've gone on about this for a while, but I, it's, I, I actually think that this sort of gets us in that headspace of just reminiscing about, you know, as adults, as not the target audience. And definitely, I would say this is the better of the Rain. It's Helgemeyer stuff we've read, but honestly, I... Of the two we've read. <laughs> of the two we've read. Honestly, I get why this is as popular as it is. This is... especially speaking as someone who doesn't care for middle school drama, this is really well done. I kind of feel about... It's actually occurring to me that I feel about the middle school drama stuff about the same as I feel about romantic subplots, Mm -hmm. which is that when it's just shoved in because you're in a middle school setting, but Mm -hmm. the story doesn't require it, Mm -hmm. it drives me crazy. But because ultimately, despite the pitch of the orthodontics, this is about going through that awkward point in your life and that's just you know how she filters a lot of this stuff through is through the orthodontics but because this is actually about that mm-hmm. i like it and i'm like the same i i don't mind movies that where the romantic plot is actually the point or a hugely significant part of the story it's just when it's tacked on that i hate it and it's mm-hmm. kind of the same thing with the middle school drama and since it's not here mm-hmm. i actually quite enjoyed this yeah it more, makes more than i expected to actually yeah, it doesn't overpower it. There's enough going on. I do like her sister and brother. <laughs> her, her brother when the earthquake goes on and they're freaking out. And, like, her sister, she's actually like, wow, my sister's actually praying and scared. And, like, yeah, that- she has a whole other book that's actually about her and her sister. I haven't read it yet, but it's called Sisters, and I know the- she's in it. But the little brother is, like, unfazed. Yeah, their mother's shouting at him to, to like get in a doorway or underneath he's just he's he's on his tricycle in the middle of the living room going huh what because <laughs> <laughs> again like real world things that was that was the that was the earthquake that caused the bay area bridge collapse yeah yep which which they reference and it, there's also a lot of real world references like her and, and like they're not connected to the story but it tells you a lot about her as a character like her going to see the Little Mermaid. Oh, that was which cute. she was she was kind of a little old for for when that came out because uh-huh. she would have been um, like twelve or something. she would have been eleven or twelve when that uh-huh. came out, which is the kind of age a lot of people are like. I'm a little old for this, but she like immediately fell in love. She's like, I want to be an animator. I'm like, oh, I know. It's I like origin like, story moments. I do really like um, the art connection that pops up here and there. It's never concentrated on how she succeeds in art, but that's kind of how she finds her niche in high school a little bit, is starting to do like yeah. advertisements for dances and stuff. And she does lots of doodling. It's in, it's interesting seeing something that was obviously super important for her, because this is now what she does for a living, mm-hmm. getting threaded through without being invasive and without it being the point of the story. It, it adds that little bit of authenticity to it which is nice yeah i did like that um (laughs) i liked her dad too because he would be like you know he obviously cared a lot about them and like during the earthquake he was super worried and they show that afterwards but she would be complaining and he'd just be like yeah okay (laughs) 
whatever. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't really know how to help with what she's going through all that yeah. much. He wants to, but he's like, ah. Uh. He, is, he is like the teenage, the dad of a teenage girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Having had one of those, yeah. Um, I do, yeah, I do like that. I like how much it shows the pain of braces and what you can go through and like the mm-hmm. gums bleeding and how she's just like smushing her face into a cushion for a while. I definitely remember the like, I just, I can only eat Jello today and baby food. I went, mm-hmm. when I first got them on, that's all I ate for like two weeks. Soup. Nothing but soup. Yep, she eats a lot of soup. Like, yeah. it's just like, I can't. And that, and that moment, we're like, oh, I can eat bread. <laughs> I know when she eats a sandwich and she's like, oh, it's like this epiphany of, yes, yeah. finally solid foods. <laughs> um, I think that's about all I have to say about it. I mean, I enjoyed it. It's not my favorite, but I think the, like, framing it around her orthodontia endeavors were was a good way to do it. I also... I'm impressed with how much time it spans without mm-hmm. it seeming like we missed gaps of things. Yeah. You know, like it flows smoothly. So I appreciate that and well, the progression with her friends and how her, you know, she gets acne and stuff. And like, like you said about the friends slowly escalating in middle school, their behavior, it all really just flows smoothly and makes sense and is very realistic. In some ways, honestly, it reminded me a bit of El Defo, which ultimately was also not about her losing her hearing. It was about that period of her life, but told through the filter of having lost her hearing and needing a hearing aid and what mm-hmm. that went through. So it it kind of, it reminded me of that in ter- structurally in terms of what it's actually I was doing. That too, like this is like. This is a thing that they could be ridiculed f- through. Obviously, that's much more serious and is lifelong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not not to compare needing braces with going deaf. No, definitely but, not. But, but as a narrative, it, it reminded me more than a little bit of mm-hmm. El Defo. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Because I think it was about this expanded. It, I think it was maybe even a little longer, that expansion on El Defo. But it did flow, you're yeah. right, smoothly like this one does. But I think we'll wrap it up there. This got a, I think we both like this pretty well. And, and I, I think it's very successful for what it is and for what it's doing. And I know she has a new one out. I don't know what it's called, but it'll be out in, I think, mid-September. We're going to have it in time for the book fair, which I'm excited about, which means we'll sell a lot of them because she always sells well. Um, I think her new one's called Guts. And I think the ones we haven't read are Sisters and Drama. I would like to look at Drama at some point. I'm, I'm well, add it to the docket with everything else. I know, not for a while. So uh, we're gonna do a promotional break, and then we'll be back with listener feedback. Monthly, monthly, monthly. It's action film face off. Hello, I'm Jason the Weasel Skull Albrick, and I'd like to tell you about a podcast I do with my brother, Jared Albrick, the yard sale artist. Action film face off! Yes, thank you, Jared. Action film face off is a podcast where my brother and I, who are both military combat vets, Jason was a Navy SEAL. 
Jason was not a Navy SEAL. Jason was a military intelligence wing. But anyway, in each episode of Action Film Face-Off, we select two different action films. Some of them have Chuck Norris. Technically speaking, none of them have had Chuck Norris yet, but it could happen because we use a randomizer set between 1970 and modern day to select our two films. So you'll always get two films, each from a different year. Our randomizer has spikes on it. We use a Google random number generator, so it does not have spikes on it. And we put the films into our video dome arena. It also has spikes. It does not have spikes. <laughs> but we discuss the films and score them through six different rounds of criteria. I score Bond films very high. Okay, that's true. But anyway, by the end of the episode, we crown one of the action films the champion of action film face-off. Next episode, Jason fights a bear. <laughs> Jason is not fighting a bear, but please give our show a listen. We're part of the Longbox Crusade Network of Shows. Pat Samson killed a man with a sword once. I can neither confirm nor deny that statement. But you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and most podcatchers under Longbox Crusade. Or you can subscribe to just our show by searching for Action Film Face-Off. Come see the blood fly! And that's Action Film Face-Off. We do, indeed, invite you to come and see The Blood Fly. I just said that. So we're back, and we have feedback from our previous episode, which was us talking about Daughters of the Dragon. And the first one is from Ryan Daly. Who actually lent us that graphic oh, novel. Oh, that's right. Yep. Um, so... He says, I've only seen one Fast and Furious movie, but that is always the tone and style I've associated with this Daughters of the Dragon story. It's a high-octane buddy cop action movie in the style of Hobbs and Shaw, Tango and Cash, or a Michael Bay movie. And because of that, I make a mental allowance for the cheesecake art. It's of a piece that the world of the story where the heroes and villains are super sexy, covered in a sheen of sweat, and constantly walking in slow motion to a hip-hop soundtrack. <laughs> Glad you both enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I really like how Ryan described that. Yeah, that's kind of how I picture, like, they're, like, kind of bouncing in time slowly to, like, the, the beat of the song, like, just, like... Oh, yeah. No, it's that total Reservoir Dogs opening credits thing. Yep. Yeah. It's 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 slick. It, it was a very slick, fun story. Um, so the next one, this is a long one. So thank you for reading it, and thank you for who wrote it as well. Yeah. So this is from Liz Ann Oswalt, and I'm actually going to spell this for folks because she is on YouTube, um, and I've heard feedback from her on other people's podcasts, and because they never spelled her name, I had a really hard time finding her. On YouTube, so it Liz L I Z Ann A N N E Oswald O S W A L T. If you if after this feedback you want to look her up, so uh, she says I love this comic. It was a mini, though they were in black and white comics back in the seventies and headlined in the nineties. Heroes for Hire. Oh, I didn't know they actually headlined that book for a little bit. Yes. Um, though, how did you <laughs> how did you forget the Punisher? We did forget to mention that Frank turned up. Oh, right. Briefly. Yep. There um, were a lot of characters to the, keep the, track of. Yes. In our defense, there's a lot of short appearances. Uh, he was awesome in this comic, uh, and they got a regular comic later. Uh, together, they uh, 
uh, starred in The Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. Uh, though sorry, Colleen. <laughs> Colleen is not a D cup, that's a B. No way that is four inches bigger than her rib cage. Uh, I'm a trans woman with a natural D cup. Colleen doesn't have a D in the comic. <laughs> no, nope, sorry. Uh, also, though she is Chinese, she doesn't do Kung Fu. Her style is jujitsu. Uh, she is, in fact, a samurai, which was on the TV show, too. That That is true, that there is, there is actually a difference in the style. I think when we mentioned Kung Fu, we meant more, like, in the vein of, like, Kung Fu Those movies. movies yeah. I, at least I wasn't trying to identify the style that she made use of. But I wasn't either. I was thinking more of the, like, movie style. Yeah, but, like, yeah, we, no, I, I, I think we cited Kung Fu as a genre uh, rather than a fighting style. But, yeah, fair enough. It's worth clarifying. Um, she continues... Only Danny actually does Kung Fu. But yeah, Misty is a D-cup. Mostly because she was a copy of Pam Greer, thus the joke of Pam Greer and Fing Fang Foom. Um, you know, Pam Greer was the first female action star. Not, <laughs> not Brie Larson. <laughs> that's, that's a little dig. Um, so she's drawn kind of, kind of like her, referring to Pam Greer again. I haven't seen too many exploitation. Uh, but Blackula was good. I haven't seen that one. I like. I think I've only seen the first Shaft, mm -hmm. and I've seen I've seen Badass. Not I haven't actually seen Sweet Sweetback's Badass song, but I saw Badass, which was about the making of that, and that was actually quite good. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you know about any of those things. Not really. I don't think I've seen... I mean, I've heard of Shaft, and obviously, because yeah. it's really well known. I haven't seen it. Um, it I, in many ways, the entire creation of the black exploitation genre was kicked off with a movie called Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, mm -hmm. which was made by Melvin Van Peebles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, who I've heard of, definitely. Yeah. And his son, Mario Van Peebles, about, I don't know, 15 years ago or so, made a movie about the making of that movie, and he got to play his dad. That's awesome. Um, so that was very cool. Uh, she goes on, Jackie Brown was great. Blaxploitation... I was say, have you seen Jackie Brown? I, I have not. I have not seen it in a long time. I saw it back in the 90s when it came out. Mm -hmm. The thing is, though, I actually have never re-watched any Quentin Tarantino movies. Mm-hmm. I've liked most of them, but I've never rewatched any of them. Um, he's he is one of those directors like I want to see what you're doing, but I don't need to keep revisiting it. Mm. And that's not like me trying to knock the guy. That's just sort of how he lands for me. Um, I feel similarly about um, you know some of the output from Christopher Nolan. Sometimes like I want to see everything you make, but I don't need to rewatch all of it. Mm. Um, I think I've rewatched Pulp Fiction, and I think that's the only one of his I've rewatched. And I haven't seen all of his stuff. I haven't actually seen Jackie Brown, which I think I'd like to see it at some point. Um, oh, and actually, Lizanne mentions how Melvin Van Peebles. Uh, I'm I'm gonna skip a, a, ahead a little bit, Lizanne. I apologize because we actually covered some of the feedback <laughs> you were gonna do. Uh, she mentions Melvin Van Peebles. Um, and also says that Luke Cage may have been based on Shaft or Superfly. Uh, to me, the drawings look like Bernie Casey. Well, Luke Cage has also had an evolving look. His original look was weird. 
Because he had the afro and he had sort of this little tiara thing and he had this deep V yellow yellow shirt. It was an interesting look. Um, his original one. Um, sorry, going on. Uh, I will have to look into it. Yellow always seems to be the, the, the color that they don't use for superheroes when they make movies and TV shows and want to be gritty and realistic. And yet yeah. that's what they were originally in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so coming back to the subject of Colleen Wing, uh, mm -hmm. she says, in fact, she was, uh, I, I, at least I think she's talking about Colleen, or she might be talking about Misty. Sorry, she jumps around a little bit, and I don't always, I'm sorry, Lizanne, I don't, I didn't always follow it. And plus we interrupted your reading. Of we it, did. Sorry. And so we're, we're being bad about this. Um, but in fact, she was co-created by Larry G.I. Joe Hama. He is the guy who did the G.I. Joe comic books. Mm -hmm. uh, a man who knows a few things about samurais and ninjas. Okay, the myth of ninjas. Uh, oddly, he was the artist on an issue with the great uh, Doug Mensch as the writer. Well, oh, she is talking about uh, Colleen, I think. Well, she's half Chinese with her mom being Japanese. Yeah, so this is Colleen. Mm -hmm. With ancestors that are daimyo and samurai. Uh, anyway, through the issues of Power Man and Iron Fist, she and Misty became gal pals. Colleen being one of my favorite characters as a kid. Uh, though I don't, uh, I don't talk about her on my YouTube page too much. Yeah, nice work reintegrating the YouTube plug as someone who works plugs for his YouTube channel into feedback. <laughs> I respect it. Uh, anyway, back to the comic. It's very 70s, but I think that's planned. I was not a fan of the secretary, save when he was teamed with Orca. Together, these two work. No idea why. Only romance Colleen had in the comics was a brief fling with Danny uh, till it became certain that Danny was the soulmate of Misty. Uh, and Colleen later dated Bob Diamond. I don't know who that character is. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, the actress busting her butt and the character being awesome, maybe why she took over as the lead of Iron Fist. Yeah, the end of the second season of Iron Fist has Colleen basically taking over the power of the Iron Fist. Oh, nice. Did that make the show... Slightly better? No, because it only happens at the very, very end. It's a season three setup, the same way Luke oh. becoming potentially the new head of crime and Harlem was a season three setup mm. that never paid out. But you like Colleen on the show. I like show, Colleen. Because right? I haven't seen Iron Fist. I like what I've seen when she showed up in Luke Cage. I, and I've liked her. She was in The Defenders as well. She was uh, at a few points. Season one. The actress playing Colleen is good, and she's and she's also good in the fight scenes. Way better than the actor who was cast as Danny is, who cannot sell those at all. But I do not like how the character is used in season one of Iron Fist at all. I actually kind of hated it. Uh, That's not an issue with the actress. Yeah. But it was the writing because Scott Buck ran that first season, and Scott Buck is a cancer on television. <laughs> you are salty. I. Okay, look, this is the man responsible for the first season of Iron Fist, uh, The Inhumans, and the last four seasons of Dexter. Oh, uh, yeah. I have the, not watched any of those things, so I have no reason to complain about this, them, and you have convinced me I should not watch any of these things. Yeah, so. this, is, this is a grudge I, I'm not going to let go of Apparently. anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> uh, but anyways, sorry, we're diverging again. 
to rant? Oh, shocker. I know. Me rant what? Um, I'm going to let you read until the end. Okay. Read from the end now. Okay. Um, her taking over is kind of like Cato in the 60s Green Hornet because Bruce Lee is awesome. But Danny is a cool character. Well, as is. Uh, race swapping would be pointless because, sorry, he's a, uh, he's a stereotype if he was Asian. I'm going to interject. There was a question as to whether he should be recast as um, Asian or Asian-American when they did the show instead of keeping him white like he is in the comics. Mm -hmm. um, she makes the case to just leave him white. Had the MCU not dropped the ball on Jimmy Woo, we, uh, he could have been the guy. I mean, cool Asian James Bond, and they make him a comedy cop sigh maybe they uh maybe they will get it right with shang chi and his girlfriend because shang chi master of kung fu is getting his own movie yes um though he will need a major overhaul because in the cons in the comics he's basically just the tv show kung fu uh the cat in the shang chi comics was cooler since he was basically bruce lee but the shang chi comics in the 70s were great so the movie if they fix the lead can be great but no just leave danny as is because, yeah, he's a walking kung fu theater reject. In fact, his early drawings mostly look like John Saxon. Finn Jones uh, didn't try, from what I hear. And I was okay with what I saw of him. But, yeah, I like uh, Jessica Henwick better, mainly because of my Colleen fanness. Uh, and, and because she worked hard. Race, sex, I don't care. But the lead needs to work hard, and she did. At least it looked like she cared more than Finn. Sorry, Finn fans. I'm not sure there are any. I don't think you have to apologize. He was fine as Danny. Okay, back to the comic again. With comic Danny, he's mostly Bruce Wayne and a Shaw Brothers film mixed. So yeah, no reason to change his race because again, he, uh, he would not be a step forward. I just remembered um, Jimmy was in Cap, the first Avenger, and well used. Just a new version. Just a new version in Ant Man. Not so much. I, I've actually lost track of what character we're covering <laughs> now. Um, nothing against Randall Park, but oi, uh, he's supposed to be James Bond, and we got Clouseau. <laughs> uh, how the '50s comics get him right in the 2000 movie fails is beyond me. Anyway, this comic was fun. James Palmiotti and Justin Gray did a great job on the comic, but yeah, the villains were were very She Hulk esque, i.e., small time. Sadly, Amanda Connor uh, didn't draw it since they are the power team. Uh, though, if y'all thought Misty was busty, watch out if Amanda drew her. I'm not familiar with Amanda Connor's art, but I'll take your word for it. Humbug even teamed with Misty and Colleen in this. But yeah, as for Kung Fu, uh, that would be Danny. Colleen is jujitsu, uh, so basically Royce-level... Um, Tough person. I'm rewording a little bit, so apologies. And she can kick and punch. Misty is a street fighter with police training, and Danny does kung fu. No idea which style of kung fu. Probably many. Probably not Wing Chun. There we go. <laughs> thank that you. That was pretty informative about the different martial thank you. arts. So thank you for clarifying that, because I don't really know. But I do think we more meant that, like, I don't know. I might have said kung fu by without clarifying and I should have looked into that more but I think yet yeah, there is a style of kung fu movies that doesn't necessarily mean they're actually using kung fu I, I think it depends on the movie because like when for when the kung fu movie thing kind of hit when it was movies actually being transplanted mm -hmm. from um, 
you know, because the original Bruce Lee movies weren't made for by American companies for American, American audiences. audiences. Yeah. I think where things got muddled was when American filmmakers started to copy that. Mm, and then it was shocking. Yeah. And then you started getting cases of like, okay, well this is the kung fu genre, but what the heck are they even doing? I don't know. Um, so we've got a couple more. Um, we've got Tim Price. Uh, I hadn't read this story before, but found it on Marvel Unlimited. Uh, I feel like that app gets plugged a lot in the in the uh, feedback. It was indeed a six-issue miniseries, so the story could wrap up nicely. And honestly, I enjoyed the story a lot. It's a high-octane summer movie blockbuster <laughs> with splosions and fights. <laughs> and explosions. Explosions. That's how he spells it. Uh, with remarkably funny character moments. I could roll with it and have a good time. The artwork. Hey, the ladies were purdy, but geez, that was a lot of nippleage everywhere. Mm-hmm. And he makes a note for uh, Shag to calm down, which, you know, that's a general thing. We always need to remind Shag to calm down. And, Especially when there's nippleage. Huh? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I was confused. What is happening with Misty's boobs here? <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> okay, she goes commando, but it just looked wrong and painful and ugh. Uh, the villain cameos were cute, but nitpicky me got confused by the mad juggler. He looks like the villain from the 80s uh, Hawkeye miniseries Oddball, a much better name. Where are they, uh, Were they trying to rename him, or is this intentionally a different guy, or did somebody screw up? And why do I care? <laughs> uh, that is like the perpetual nitpicky geek question. Why do I care so much about this? <laughs> I do wonder that with you sometimes. It's a valid question, and I don't have an answer. Uh, uh, this I book of as much. <laughs> this book must have been somewhat successful since it gets relaunched as Heroes for Hire, with even more women in skin-tight, nipple-pointing outfits, plus humbug. Uh, the aforementioned kung fu craze inspired Shang Chi. Is that one on the docket? Not at present, um, but it's possible on a, as a revisit <coughs> if if it's out in trade. That's that's the requirement, though. And finally, love Colleen and Misty on the Netflix shows. A Daughters of the Dragon or Heroes for Hire series would have been excellent. I agree. Mm. Um, great episode, as always. My punchers, you sure make me smile. Get it? Smile? Because the next... Hello? Uh, <laughs> you want to take the last one? Yep. <laughs> Brian Linton says... Thank you both for another great episode. I believe the late comment you mentioned may have been my comment from episode number 31, but that's on me for not posting it sooner. And re Sorry about that. In regards to this episode, this story sounds like a fun... Um, um, how do you say Homage? Homage. Homage. Yay, I said it right. I, it's, like, it's got the word like home practically in it. <laughs> homage to those 90s blaxploitation films. Unfortunately, the artwork, namely the costume designs, which basically is what we mean by the artwork, is like, what are they wearing? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, Least sensible shoes. Will probably, yes, I think that was important. <laughs> I really do. No spike heels. Um, unfortunately, the artwork, namely the costume designs, will probably keep me from picking this one up. My general rule of thumb is to ask myself if I would feel embarrassed if my wife or daughter saw me reading this. If the answer is yes, then I should probably give it a pass, and this one looks like a yes. Still, I really enjoyed your coverage of, the, of this book. Finally, your discussion of the undead 
during the listener feedback portion of the episode made me realize that there is a serious problem with the representation of the undead in modern media. When the undead are depicted in print or visual media, you primarily see zombies and vampires with the occasional mummy thrown in. What about all of the other underrepresented types of undead, like gals, skeletons, and whites? Thank you for opening my eyes to this issue. <laughs> I know. When was the last time you saw an actual banshee in a comic? Come on now. Yeah. Um, so I have hopes, though, because we're watching Legends of Tomorrow right now. And that's true. They're, they're going some pretty obscure in season four with some of their... Uh, what I think is obscure, I just don't know general things. Uh, and actually, Brian, uh, at, since you reminded us, I have pulled up your comment that we had missed before. And this was his comment on episode 31, which was Aww. Princess and the Dressmaker. Oh. He said, um, I said I was looking forward to a change of pace, and you gave it to me in spades. I truly enjoyed and appreciated oh, your candid you. discussion of this graphic novel, particularly when Nathaniel shared about the parts of the story that rang true with his own experiences. Uh, this sounds like a good book to help expand my daughter's horizons when it comes to thinking about gender identity. Heck, I need to make sure that I read this book to help increase my own awareness and sensitivity. Thanks for covering this. And it's worth saying when he said anything, he actually like said you. So he didn't use a masculine pronoun. I inserted one because I had altered his, mm. how the thing was, right? So before anyone's like, oh, did he misgender? Like, first of all, I don't get hung up on pronouns. Second of all, no, he didn't. That was me reading it weird. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but thank you very much, Brian. It's, I'm... I really like that one um, yeah. so far, and I haven't read as many of the Dorothy Canfield Fisher books as I should have, but it's my favorite of, like, the three or four I've read so far. Yeah, um, that was that was a really nice one to cover. So that's going to wrap up this one, folks. Um, next month, we're actually going to do something slightly different. Mm -hmm. We're actually going to be talking about a TV show. Consider it like a one-time sort of special little fun thing for us to do. It's not going to become the case regularly, but we both really love this show, and we kind of just want to gush about She-Ra on and Netflix also, I'm for really a bit. busy with back-to-school stuff. That's, that's the other thing. This is something we can talk about easily and quickly. So. And, and let's also mention that it took you a while with Smile <laughs> for a short book. I, yes, I, I, we should have recorded this at least two weeks ago. Um, well, you finished it today, though. I, I really did. I, I finished through. it to, today. Uh, <laughs> you knew I was going to tease you. I, I thought I might have gotten away with it, but you snuck no, it in there. No, I got it in. Well played. Uh, so thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Tough Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production and a presentation of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on the Facebook page for Fire and Water Podcast and Council of Geeks. Our logo art was created by Nick Buxom, and our theme music is composed and performed by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Bye!